Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 41, Adjusting to Transitions, part two. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Big changes throughout life can bring big changes to your sleep. In today's episode, I'll continue the discussion from episode 37 and explore a couple more major life transitions and how they can impact your sleep, specifically the journey to parenthood and transitioning to retirement. You've heard me say before that our sleep and circadian biology is malleable. One of the hallmarks of humanity is our adaptability, from changing physical environments to evolving cultural, social environments and constantly changing emotional inner environments, we humans persevere thanks to our flexibility and ability to pivot and shift when needed. And thus, we are not biologically obligated, programmed like a robot to sleep precisely from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Because across the year, from season to season and meridian to meridian, time changes, or at least the length and intensity of the solar day changes. Not that the spin of the Earth is dramatically different, but our opportunity for sun exposure does fluctuate. With seasons generally, and solstices more specifically being defined by the changing duration of daytime sunlight across the year. So it makes sense that our own biology, and that of all species from plants to fruit flies, that we would all be made with this built-in dial, able to adjust our internal clocks to match our ever-present but in-flux external clock of the sun. But adaptability does not equate to some moral good or an automatic win. It does not always serve our best interests. In fact, far too much of the bevy of human suffering in modernity, and especially in the 21st century, can be traced, at least in part, to unintended consequences of our malleable circadian biology. And while it allows us to have nurses in hospitals, even in the middle of the night, 24-hour IT support, and the ability to keep an eye on emerging market price changes in Asia from a bedroom in Chicago, the physical capability for humans to operate at any point across the 24-hour cycle does not lead to the actual flourishing of any one individual. From sleep loss to delayed sleep onset and social jet lag and shift work, and the ever-growing list of attractive distractions designed and refined by the brightest of minds to be a more compelling addiction than crack cocaine, it is easier than ever for our flexible sleep and circadian biology to get bent out of shape. Some of this stems from the constant improvement in human productivity expanding the working power of the human economy to 24 hours a day from just daylight hours only a couple centuries ago. A lot of it stems from these light-emitting addiction machines too many of us can't seem to live without in the last decade. 
and some of it stems from the natural processes of growing a family, as we'll explore today. There is nothing easy about being a parent, certainly not for mothers in particular, as we touched on last week. There is no guidebook, only the, oh, you'll see soon enough, snarky comments from those one step ahead with the trial-by-fire wisdom they all wish they had before taking the leap. There is no effective preparation for those first few weeks with a newborn. But nature attempts, anyway. Mom may be increasingly uncomfortable or experience disproportionate kicks at night when she's trying to sleep in the days or weeks approaching delivery. A bit of a heads up that soon there will be undeniable demands placed and tests of your resolve in the middle of the night once that bundle of joy exits the womb. Those early days quickly dissolve into a blur that many of us would rather forget. Early in the neonatal period, those first precious weeks of baby's life, she or he needs to feed every couple to few hours including overnight. It may be disproportionately mom handling these duties, even if bottle feeding. And speaking of duties, the diaper situation is a nightmare. It's bad enough waking up to a creature screaming, making life-sustaining demands on you, often literally sucking it out of you. And then to top it all off, in exchange for your night of rest after an exhausting day, you're gifted the most heinous excrement. How could such a cute thing make something so foul? During the first several nights, the adrenaline keeps you going, but resilience quickly runs thin till you feel like you're running on empty. How could anyone ever survive such a toll? You've heard me say repeatedly how damaging it can be to get insufficient sleep or broken and interrupted sleep. How is this possibly good? Well, for one, it's for the good of that helpless baby and good for humanity. If life didn't have a way of making it through neonatal care, we'd all be following the sea turtle plan of laying a bunch of eggs, walk away, and hope to God at least 1% survive to prolong the species. So clearly, nature has a way of balancing the score. And while the first several nights are tricky, they don't last. They get easier, and you can work out a system. Super young babies, in those first couple weeks, spend a ridiculous amount of time sleeping. So it's not like you've got to entertain them all night long. You can work out systems of diaper, feed, and back to bed, without much stimulation otherwise stimulation for the baby that might keep them awake, and stimulation for mom and dad that would keep them awake longer than needed. This is the beginning of circadian training, and by limiting stimulation for the parents, it makes it more likely that what sleep you do achieve in between feeds overnight is dense and high quality. But leaving on the lights, putting on Netflix, or scrolling Instagram during feeds doesn't put you on very good footing to achieve quality sleep when you do get the chance. Recall, as we've discussed often before, including episodes 4 and 5, episode 11, episode 12, episode 20, episodes 22 and 23, light is the strongest zeitgeber, or time giver. It is the most potent influence on your sleep and wake timing. And that influence is not uniform across the 24-hour day, quite the opposite. In fact, the potency of light, how strongly it will delay or advance your internal clock, depends on how close that exposure takes place to your temperature nadir, which is approximately three to four hours before you would naturally wake up without an alarm. So light exposure at 2 a.m. is far more dangerous for your sleep than light at 8 p.m. or light at 2 p.m. Each will have an impact, but the degree to which your sleep and wake can be shifted is dramatically higher at 2 a.m. So anything more than the minimum amount of light, brightness and duration, needed for a diaper change in feeding makes it more likely that you'll have a needlessly harder time getting back to sleep, harder to achieve adequate sleep quality if you do fall back asleep, 
and more likely that you'll run into more difficulty with getting up on time and getting to bed on time tomorrow. Not to mention, you are entirely responsible for another human life, one that is 100% dependent for every aspect of its being. That's a lot of responsibility for someone already sleep-deprived. And the other big theme here is training. Sleep and circadian training, that is. Because not only is it important to maintain some sense of time-dependent stability for your own sanity, but precisely because instilling an adequate sense of circadian stability in baby will be your saving grace. Newborns don't come equipped with a sense of time that has any respect for what takes place outside of the womb. This is displayed beautifully in actigraphy plots, showing the complete absence of any sort of rhythm in the early days of human life. But with the right guidance, there starts to emerge clustering of periods of activity and periods of rest. That with the right guidance, baby may be taking six or so naps throughout the day in the first few weeks, with stretches of up to four hours overnight between feeding. Then, within the second to third month, about six episodes of alternating activity and naps, with baby sleeping through the night. Under the right conditions set by mom and dad, baby may only be waking up twice a night in the very beginning, and just once a night after one to two weeks, then not much later, sleeping completely through the night. So what are these conditions? What is the right guidance from parents to entrain baby's rhythm? The simplest is the order of operations, appealing to baby's ability for conditioning. Sleep, eat, wake. In that order, waking up is rewarded with the meal, and then some awake time, whether cuddling with mom, looking at interesting shapes and forms, hearing people's voices, eventually getting some tummy time, and then back to sleep. In this order, you are not conditioning baby to need the nipple to fall asleep. And after rest in a full tummy, they are more ready for activity. Then during the middle of the night episodes, you skip the awake part. Sleep, eat, and back to sleep, plus or minus a diaper change. So if baby needs to feed every three hours during the day, it may be no more than an hour total for feeding and activity and light exposure before going back down for a nap. Over the weeks, the wake times are gradually extended as infants have a lower sleep need than neonates. So typically in the fourth or fifth month, baby is down to just three daytime naps plus the overnight sleep. After the first couple weeks, the more baby is stimulated during wake periods, the more it will reinforce circadian alertness. And the less that baby is stimulated during nighttime feedings, the more it will reinforce circadian night. As discussed last episode, new moms are especially prone to difficulties with sleep and circadian wellness, which can affect everything from greater difficulty losing baby weight to postpartum depression and anxiety. So the more stability we can bring to new mom's sleep and circadian wellness, the better her life is going to be as well, including being in a better position to provide guidance and stability to baby's emerging circadian health. As we've seen time and time again, delayed circadian rhythms, irregular circadian rhythms like social jet lag pattern elaborated in episode 23, where one alternates getting up early and sleeping in, these fluctuating, unstable circadian patterns significantly increase the risk for depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts. Circadian stability doesn't mean working down to the minute the exact itinerary for your day, locked, rigid, and inflexible. Circadian stability doesn't mean you can't stay up a little bit later to finally experience a little parents-only time after the little one has gone down. Circadian stability does mean that you get up and start your day at the same time every day. You get exposed to those first rays of sunlight in the morning at the same time every day. You eat around the same time every day. You squeeze in whatever physical activity you can muster during the daylight hours. And then, having done all that, no matter how good or bad the night before seemed, whether the baby woke you up or slept through the night, you will find yourself ready for sleep just about the same time every night, 
like clockwork. Because that's what happens when you make efforts every day to set your body's clock. It rewards you by giving you, with decent accuracy, the right time to fall asleep consistently every night. So that you've got the juice, the energy, the capacity to keep that little one alive and thriving the next day and every day after. The first days or even weeks of newborn care can feel like an earthquake, violently shaking up the life and schedule you think you should have had. Retirement, on the other hand, is more like wandering into a county fair funhouse. You slowly come to realize things are not what they appear or what you hoped for. The biggest challenges to sleep with transitioning into retirement is the sudden vacuum left by the absence of work obligations. For decades, there were external constraints on schedule, from living under parents' roof, to school obligations, to then having to show up 9 to 5 to make a living. Often, for the first time in one's life, there is not some outside authority requiring you to be at a certain place at a certain time or else. It is an incredible relief, this newfound freedom. But what do you do with that? Perhaps, as discussed in episode 37 in regards to the college excursion, you use the opportunity to abandon all sense of obligation internally, not just external. Since without someone else obliging you to show up on time for work or face the consequences, your inner rebel compels you to stay up as late as you want and sleep in as late as you want, seemingly without consequence. So whether you retire early at age 50, the new standard of 67, or like my lovely patient last week at the tender age of 84, it's all too easy to behave like a child, like those adolescents getting a taste of independence for the first time, mistakenly self-sabotaged by the lust for doing whatever I want. But as we've seen repeatedly, quality sleep and circadian wellness can help you live your best life, but abuse your sleep and the consequences are disabling, if not literally fatal. Healthy sleep improves immunity, reduces inflammation, lowers risk for cardiovascular disease, improves memory, improves mood, improves libido and sex life. Whatever one wishes to accomplish in life, whatever brings meaning and enjoyment to one's life is facilitated and enhanced by good sleep health. Quality sleep is your ally in living your best life. It is the literal substrate of achieving your dreams. You will not cut off your foot because you think it's weighing you down in your effort to run the marathon. Yes, you'd literally be lighter on your one remaining foot, but weight is definitely not the most important component to running a race. And getting distracted by, and erroneously believing that, leaves you now with nearly impossible odds of actually achieving the ultimate goal. There is plenty of time for leisure, for reading, for television, hell, often almost nothing but time for these ventures. But to sacrifice your sleep for them, just because you can now, without a job to show up for, doesn't mean that you should. A capacity for an action doesn't mean that it will serve you well. Too often, I see individuals whose lives have essentially unraveled once they retire. They retired from a job, but didn't retire to anything. Aimless and unsatisfied, days are passed sitting in a chair watching television they don't care about, not spending time doing and seeing that which they do care about. That's why it's important to retire to something. I'm not implying that when you retire you need to go back to work, but this does require some forethought. What do you want to do? What matters to you? What do you value in life? Responsibility? Stability? Cooperation? Contribution? Freedom? Creativity? Achievement? Pursuit of wisdom? Acceptance? Understanding? Trust? Authenticity, belonging, appreciation, connection, humility, compassion, service, commitment, self-care, or discipline? What matters to you? What are the values that you care about? What do you want your legacy to be? When others talk about you, what do you want them to say? 
How can you take these values and put them to the work of purposeful living? How can these things that matter most to you keep you occupied? How can you organize your days in honor of what you hold dear? Retirement provides the excellent opportunity to devote more time to serve your own well-being and the well-being of others more directly than when work obligations limited your availability. Retirement provides the opportunity to devote more of your resources to maintaining and improving your health through physical activity, nutrition, socialization, and caring for others. Start by waking up with purpose. What time would you need to rise in order to tackle your purposes for the day? Perhaps you feel less connected with nature. Well then, waking up in time to grab an eyeful of that beautiful sunrise every day provides a great starting point. Because when you wake up at the same time every day, it sets your internal clock, and you'll be physiologically prepared for sleep about the same time every night. It provides you the opportunity to bask in the beauty and awe of our universe around us, the sun that powers all life on the planet, a chance to kindle that gratitude fire and connect once again with the natural world around us. Wake up, not whenever, not to laze around in bed, not to squander the morning, but wake up like you mean it. Wake up with purpose. Wake up so that you can take control of your life, live your values, make meaning with the time that you have been granted on this earth. Wake up knowing that your circadian wellness will serve you, will leave you more able to live a life with purpose, a life worth living, a life chosen by you with intention. So to summarize, big life changes can lead to big disruption to your sleep. New parents are caught in a whirlwind of firsts, mostly frightening, some exciting, but all wonderful. But it's no picnic being woken up across the night for days on end. And it's easy to get derailed, to try to overcompensate for a bad night. Recall from episode 20 that when you've had a bad night or a series of bad nights, that the core principles of healthy sleep are more important than ever, despite the temptation to abandon them being stronger than ever. Because not only will your own damaged sleep improve by maintaining healthy sleep habits, but you are literally training the sleep and circadian cycles of that little disruptor. Maintain your circadian wellness, and in a matter of days, baby is only getting you up once a night. Remember not to let super young babies go any longer than four hours between feeds. And within a matter of weeks, as long as stable wake feed, activity, cycles have been reinforced, soon you will all be sleeping through the night without interruption, and never so grateful for consolidated sleep. And when you retire, it is easy to find yourself facing the same responsibility void that new college kids encounter. Without someone else telling you that you need to be at a specific place at a specific time, it is very tempting to yell, screw you universe, I'm sleeping in as long as I want. But a life without order is chaotic, not for the good of the mind, the body, or soul. Circadian disruption from unstable wake and sleep timing, like going to bed whenever and waking up whenever, has enormous implications for health and well-being. From higher rates of depression, anxiety, worsening cholesterol, runaway waistlines, and higher rates of cardiovascular disease and mortality, all just from using that capacity for circadian flexibility as justification for complete absence of stability in the most basic biological function. What do you value? What matters to you? How can you design your life with intention, with purpose, with resolve that reflects those values? And will you let immature adolescent motivations equating rebellion with freedom derail your ability to live the life you want to live, to embody those ideals and values, to live your life with intention? Or will you wake up like you mean it? Got a little handout for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested 
including some specific best practices to get that good snooze, whether you're a new parent or newly retired. That's wellrestedmd.com slash D-A-Y. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes, leave a review, and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.